Welcome to Gleaning and Gathering. I'm your host, Eric Heimlich, and it's great to be here with you again on this snowy winter morning. I am recording this and uh, just been thinking this morning about people and the way in which so many friends have added value to my life. You know, there's a quote on my little inspiration board by Ed Farrell, and it says, There are certain people who enable us to be as we have never been before. And that's been my experience. You know, there are a lot of people that have uh, passed through my life and added value in one way or another, uh, either for a season or in an ongoing way. But I was just thinking about a few of those th- lessons that they've taught me. You know, many times there there are words and language that just change the whole paradigm for us. And giving language and worlds and paradigms that we didn't have before. I'm reading uh, Tolkien's Cimmerillion right now. It just amazes me as I'm wading my way through it, the whole world that came out of his head. You know, if we would not have had Middle Earth and all of its amazing lore that uh, Tolkien gave us, uh, the world would not be as rich a place as it is. And there's so many lessons that we can learn, even though it's a, a fictional story. There's so many lessons that we can learn from it. I, you know, I've just been pondering that and the way in which uh, he uses a Christian worldview to frame even the, the beginning of a world that is uh, not, not our world in terms of not the, not the world that we know today. And yet there is this, this overarching God who is personal, who is creating. And from these uh, Valar uh, are bringing into existence uh, all that we know. And then there's the evil of of Melkor uh, that uh, ends up uh, bringing uh, terrible ruin and destruction. And the way in which he, he weaves that in to the story, it's, it's reminiscent of the biblical story, even though it's not the biblical story. But just thinking about, uh, you know, how much those worlds that he's created out of his own head are things that uh, have added value to our lives today. I also think about my friend Wayne Ostrander, um, who's uh, been a, a friend and a brother, lived in Alaska and had an incredible ministry for the past uh, 50 plus years there with Calvary Life Fellowship. And a phrase that he shared a few years ago that I I wrote down at the time and I've never forgotten and I've come back to again and again. He said, our fellowship is in the cross. You know, it's in the suffering of our Lord and the suffering that we enter into that we find fellowship together as God's people. I've pondered that a lot and come back to that, that our fellowship is in the cross. That's where it's at. And so there may be a lot of other things that unite us, or there may even be other things that divide us, but our fellowship is in the cross. You know, a few years ago, um, I was able to spend some time with, with Gene Hood, a pastor in Beach Grove, Indiana, Independent Nazarene Church. And uh, he 
had just such a gift of being able to present different truths in a very memorable sort of way. And there were two that he, he gave me that I've shared probably hundreds of times with, with hundreds of other people since then. But one of those he gave me was thinking about how to train children. And he said, you know, a lot of, a lot of children grow up with, uh, understanding things as smack wrong and candy right. Those were the words he used. Like a, a little dog can be trained. He doesn't have a conscience, but he learns that if he jumps up on the counter and takes that piece of steak, he gets smacked. And so he learns that is smack wrong. Other things he wouldn't naturally do, you know, like stand up on his hind legs and beg or do other sorts of odd behaviors that dogs do not naturally do. And yet he learns that those things are candy, right? He gets something nice, a little treat if he does these. So he learns to do them. And so over time, he, he learns that if you do this, you get smacked. If you do this, you get candy. And so he develops this little, what we'll call doggy conscience. And if we're not careful, that's the way that we train children as well. Rather than bringing them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord until they are able to approach uh, decisions with, with a principle base that holds them steady. Instead, we just forbid certain things and make them smack wrong. And then other things we make candy right. We reward certain behaviors. But when the gate is finally thrown open and when they are you know, 18 years old, and they're out in a dorm room by themselves for the first time with an open internet. Where do they go? What do they do? Because the great revealer of character is not whether or not they're complying, but whether or not their heart is there. You know, a few years ago, there was a writer, Stephen and Terry Maxwell, wrote a book entitled Keeping Our Children's Hearts. And it's a concept that I've come back to a lot um, because it goes along with what Gene Hood said. You know, there's a difference between having our children's compliance that they're just, they're going along to get along. You know, they've learned some things are smack wrong. And so, you know, don't do that or you're going to get, you're going to get what for, but their heart's not with you. And the question that my wife and I have, have asked many different times of our own children, but also in, in looking at the lives of other children and then young people is, do their parents have their heart? There are a lot of families that seem really well put together and are doing really well on the outside. And yet, as you watch over a period of time and you see the patterns, you realize that while there was compliance in the home, their parents never had their heart. And when we read in Proverbs, my son, give me thine heart. There's so much there because in order to really be able to see the, the kind of long-term discipleship of our children, there has to be a degree of autonomy in that decision-making process. And I don't mean autonomy in the sense that they're completely independent of us. But there has to be a sense in which we do not rob them of agency. And I think this is always a dangerous, a dangerous thing because even in trying to help people, there's that moment 
where we cross over saying, okay, I'm going to help you. I'm going to come in and I'm going to take over and I'm going to do for you. And in that moment, if we're not careful, we, we cross a line and we're no longer helping. What we've done is rob them of agency. We've taken away the choice that is their God-given choice and said, you are going to do this. And at that point, it becomes a, a very negative thing, not a good thing. And the result of that many times is not what we would hope for. And so how do we help in a way that's helpful? This, uh, this idea that uh, Gene Hood introduced me to has been language that I've come back to again and again in thinking about how to bring up children in a way that does preserve their agency. They have a choice. And ultimately, they're going to stand before God independent of me. And yet at the same time, I have a stewardship for a time where I impose a will upon them until their will is formed, until they have learned self-discipline, then they need to learn discipline. And so it's not, it's not a matter that we just let them do whatever they want, but we have to go beyond just developing their doggy conscience, this idea that things are smack wrong or that other things are candy right and just have their compliance in in their behavior but we have to have their heart we have to keep their heart you know another illustration that gene hood gave me that i've come back to again and again and i'm not sure i can describe this uh, without uh, it's easier to see but imagine a box and in each of the four walls of that box there is a door in each one of those we grow up inside of a box, he said, and we don't get to choose our parents. We don't get to choose what color our eyes are. We don't get to choose um, how fast we can run or a lot of other things about ourselves, where we're born. But at some point along the way, we realize that inside this box, there are doors and we can choose. And those choices are going to go places. We can choose to take the college preparatory courses, or we can choose to go to vocational school. And what we find is, is that we walk through the door and as we walk through the door, the wall that was there, and he would draw this out, the, the wall that was the side of the box that we walk through disappears and our world gets forever bigger. And as we walk into this bigger room, the room that we were in is now part of that. It's part of that box. And yet now the box is, is bigger and there are more doors beyond that. And so beyond that, then as we walk through another door, we see that the wall again disappears and our world gets forever bigger. We can never go back to just the same box that we were in before. And there are more doors in that. And we see this in the life of David, you know, as David walked through the door of fighting Goliath. And as he walked through that door and was faithful, he could never go back again to just being David, the shepherd boy. Instead, they were singing songs like Saul has killed his thousands, but David is ten thousands. Now he's David the warrior. And as he continues on, he walks through the door again and he becomes David the king. And now they're saying, David, you can't go out. You, you can't be David the warrior anymore. You're David the king. And his world got forever bigger. And of course, we know as he walked through the door with Bathsheba, he could never go back. He repented and God gave him forgiveness, but as he stands there over Absalom's body, 
you had to know that that sin is in his mind. That terrible reality that he entered entered into as a result of walking through this door and where where it took him. Anyway, this idea, though, that our world gets forever bigger as we walk through doors and as we make choices um, has been incredibly helpful to me to understand as I've uh, gone forward. And I'm thankful to Gene Hood for giving me that illustration. You know, I got a little book from my friend David Odell, who's uh, also a friend from Alaska, came down and helped us work on our house here at Victory Acres a few years back and got to know him really well. And just so thankful for Brother David. What a blessing he is. And he's a gifted writer. And his latest book is entitled, What Gets Your Attention Gets You. And in his book, uh, there's uh, there's some reflections on his life. He, he talked about uh, a teacher that was just dynamic. This teacher was someone who cared more about his students than he cared about the subject that he was teaching. And he made a, a statement, this professor did, in front of the class that has stuck with David now for... 80 years, and and that was what gets your attention gets you. He goes on to talk in the little book about Moses and how God got his attention, Noah, how God got his attention, David, the psalmist, and how God uh, got his attention when he sinned with Bathsheba, about Nehemiah and how God got his attention as well. He points out in the book that God has a bigger purpose in getting our attention. And he says here, Isn't it remarkable that our Heavenly Father allows us to find ourselves in extremely muddy circumstances where we see no other way through, and then he reveals himself as the answer? It happens with many of his children, and it is always for a designed purpose to complete his original design for you. He said we're all born with a purpose. We are formed from clay, but there is a master potter who had and still has intentions, intentions far above what our puny minds can fathom. It is of utmost importance to let that master potter get our attention so that he might bring us to his divine intention. You know, one of the phrases that our friends in Alaska often say, uh, the folks there at Calvary Life Fellowship, is that he leaves no stone unturned. You know, I've, I've used that phrase many different times and uh, reflected on its meaning that God brings things into our lives to turn over stones, to show us truth that we would never want to see, truth that we would never want to face, and yet he does it for our good, and he does it because he is bringing us to his divine intention. You know, Sight and Sound put out a, a film this year on Henry Wadsworth Longfellow's famous song, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. It's, uh, it's powerful. And uh, in seeing that together as a family last night, uh, just reminded of so many, so many things. So many things that happened in Longfellow's life that were incredibly, incredibly difficult as he lost his wife and first child, and then later on another little girl. And after he was remarried and then lost his wife in a fire and then his son nearly dying uh, in in battle. And as he's there in, in despair and in desperation, and he writes those words, in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. 
for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then those last two verses, then peal the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to men. Till ringing, singing, on its way, the world revolved from night to day. A voice, a chime, a chant sublime of peace on earth, goodwill to men. You know, as I reflected last night on just how fragile life is, that we never know when this moment may be the last. We never know what things are coming around the corner. And listening to the story of, of Longfellow and hearing this, uh, this song again and being reminded of this truth has, uh, has touched my life. It's touched it with hope. You know, there is so much despair in this world. And there are moments where, as we look around, whether it's the war in Ukraine or whether it's the national debt here or whatever it is that uh, you're dealing with right now and fretting about, the truth of it is that this is not the end. Despair is not the end. And it may get a lot darker before it gets better, but we are, we are headed for good things. God is not dead. <laughs> and he isn't sleeping. He's in control. Being reminded of that, seeing that in the life of someone lived out before us is incredibly, incredibly helpful. Anyway, as I've been thinking about this whole idea that there are certain people who enable us to be as we have never been before. The way in which my life has been enriched by so many gifted people who have shared their words with me, who have given me paradigms to see things that I hadn't seen before. I uh, have been challenged to be that person for other people. You know, there are a lot of things that uh, I don't know. And I, I feel like the more I learn, the more I realize I don't know. There's just vast amounts of knowledge out there that I've just barely touched. We live in a day where there's just such a, a glut of information. And yet there are less and less voices to help us really make sense of that information. And as a result, sometimes we just feel overwhelmed to the point that we just kind of close in on ourselves and and have this feeling that uh, I, I can't understand it, I'm not going to understand it, and so, que sera, sera. But learning from the wisdom of others and being able to see the world through their eyes and to be able to have fresh paradigms for seeing things, to me, has been incredibly helpful. And I'm very, very grateful for it. I'd like to be able to pass on some of those things to others, to be able to share with them uh, the truths that God is sharing with me. You know, there are a lot of things that, uh, as I've been reflecting on this past year, that, uh, that God is teaching me. And one of those is that his strength is made perfect in weakness. You know, it was a little over a year ago that Becca was facing uh, major surgery. She was having her spleen removed. And there were about eight to ten very large cysts inside of her spleen that were causing it to be more than double its size. There was just a lot of uncertainty. We weren't sure if it was cancerous. We weren't sure what was happening. 
God brought us safely through that season, through just some really amazing circumstances. I remember meeting with the local specialist here who had looked at all of the imaging that had been done and said, you know, I could do this, but I know where I would go if it were my daughter. And I have a friend who is a surgical oncologist in Indianapolis and come to find out he was one of the best in the nation. He says he does this kind of work all the time. Not only he does it, but he teaches it at IU School of Medicine. And this is where I would go. He referred us to Dr. Nakib. It was exactly what we were supposed to do. And as Rebecca went and we had the surgery and everything went incredibly well, God blessed us with a quick recovery. But she was in the hospital and that first night because of COVID restrictions and other things, and she was over 18, no one could be with her overnight in the hospital. And so from nine o'clock at night till nine o'clock in the morning, she was going to be by herself. And, and of course, as a daddy, that just concerned me. But uh, her nurse, Lydia, was talking with her and she asked her where she was from. And she said that she was originally from West Africa, little nation near Ethiopia called Eritrea. And Rebecca said, my dad works for a mission that has a ministry there in Eritrea. And she said, what mission? And she said, evangelistic faith missions. And Lydia said, that's the mission that planted our churches. And, and while EFM has spread the gospel seed all over the world, in, in places that I may never be and to people that I'll probably never meet, that night, the results of that seed showed up at my daughter's bedside. It was incredible. It was a miracle to have a nurse that had been evangelized and discipled by people that had planted the gospel decades before. And now here she is, my daughter's nurse, in a time that she was just really in need. And I remember her texting us that night and saying, Daddy, I feel like that God just sent her to me. And I have no doubt that he did. You know, there are people that God sends into our lives. There are ways that he weaves together the fabric of our lives that one of these days, as we're able to see the tapestry unveiled, it is going to amaze us. You know, it's kind of like uh, one of those those sewing projects that all you can see is the backside, where all the strings are just going every which way, and it doesn't look like much. But you turn it around, the direction that it's meant to face outward, and you see this amazing tapestry of color that is just woven together in a mind-blowing way. I think that's a little bit like what God is doing right now as he is bringing people into our path and across our path and bringing our lives together. He has a divine purpose in doing that, in weaving together this tapestry that we will spend eternity fully investigating. So I just want to encourage you today. I don't know who you need to reach out to. I don't know who it is that God may place in your path. But don't miss those divine appointments. Don't miss what God is doing. It's no accident. God has ways of bringing us together. And God has ways of teaching us things through people and through the words and the paradigms that they bring to us that 
we may never fully understand until we get to eternity. But it's special, and we need to treasure it. I'm so thankful for our family and the time we've been able to spend together during this uh, Christmas and New Year season. It's been a, a real blessing just to have Kaylin and, and Becca home and to be together with the rest of our children and my wife as well. And one thing that I just I really enjoy is just sitting and talking with my children. And yesterday we were having a far-ranging discussion, uh, Kaylin and Becca and I, about uh, books and ideas and things that Kaylin is exploring and and other things that uh, that Rebecca has uh, been learning as well. And it was just such a treasure, you know, those those moments. And there were things that, that Kaylin was bringing up that I had never considered before, never thought about. I had used the phrase that uh, I thought Becca was her muse. And so it, it uncovered a whole discussion of the word muse and what it means and uh, what its origins were. And that uh, these were the, the nine daughters of Zeus, which I had no idea that that was the origin of it. And then she brought up a book um, by a uh, early American writer, a lady named, I believe it was Anne Bradstreet, um, that wrote the, uh, the Tenth Muse. Uh, I can't remember even the title, but she was uh, reading from it. And this is some of the, the reading that she had done this past semester. And, and so it, there was this fascinating conversation uh, that ensued, and all because I was using a word that I thought I was using correctly, um, that uh, Becca was uh, someone who was uh, bringing wisdom to Kaylin's life. She has ways of saying things many times that are just very direct and eye-opening and insightful, uh, incredibly deep, even though uh, on the surface many people think that she's just kind of shallow and silly, um, she actually has uh, just incredibly deep wisdom, uh, Rebecca does. And uh, so anyway, we were talking about that, and it was just a fascinating discussion that uh, unfolded. There were things in that that uh, just uh, made me realize, again, you know, there's there's not just things that I'm learning from those that are older than me and those who have come behind me, and I have, but there are things that God is teaching me through my children there are ways of being that God is softening me towards and ways that I am seeing the heart of our Heavenly Father as I feel my heart drawn towards my own children. I see His desire to give good things to me as His child as I see my heart towards my children and I know how much I long to do good things and give them good things, things that will flourish and cause them to flourish. And I see that in my Heavenly Father as well. And so I, I want to encourage you during this time just to take time to reflect on the people that God is bringing into your life and to give thanks for them. And don't take those relationships for granted. If you haven't taken time recently to tell someone who has added value to your life in some way, thank you. Do it. Do it now. Don't wait until their funeral. 
to go and say nice things about them at a casket. Say it now. Give your flowers now. Don't wait. Well, those are some things I'm chewing on today for gleaning and gathering. God bless.